Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to share simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about some really important changes uh, to income protection insurance products uh, and how they might affect you, whether you've got a pre-existing cover. Now, I certainly freely acknowledge that insurance and particularly income protection insurance isn't necessarily a a sexy nor interesting topic to discuss. Uh, But the reality is that uh, income protection insurance is uh, really important, which I'll get into in a second. Um, But if you're going to pay for any insurance, um, you certainly want to make sure that if it comes time to make a claim uh, and receive a benefit payment, uh, that that benefit payment is going to be paid. Uh, So that is the, the insurance was well worthwhile having in the first place. Um, and we all know, you know, having, uh, I mean, personally, I've got a lot of insurances, uh, whether they're personal and business insurances, and, and they're very, very costly. Um, uh, but it's one thing to, you know, to pay the premiums. It's another thing to make sure that you're actually going to get what you pay for. Uh, and uh, these changes are extremely important and really do ha- have a, a long impact. Uh, in any case, uh, I wrote a blog um, in February 2020 talking about the first phase of government-mandated changes um, and really the, the second phase of these government-mandated changes were made earlier this month and that's the, the topic of, um, of this podcast. Uh, so just by way of a bit of background, um, in late 2019, uh, APRA, the, the regulator, um, uh, released a report outlining a number of compulsory changes that it mandated uh, for income protection insurance products. Uh, And just as a a reminder, income protection insurance pays you a benefit if you can't work either due to accident or illness, uh, not, doesn't cover you with, uh, for unemployment, involuntary unemployment, um, which some people, uh, some people think it does. So just uh, to point that out. Now, these mandated changes by the government were necessary because um, uh, the industry was literally losing billions of dollars uh, on income protection insurances. So that means that the amount that they were paying out in benefits was far greater than the, the revenue they were receiving from premiums. Um, however, despite this, no insurance company wanted to make the first move to sort of to change their products to make them more sustainable, which is kind of stupid if you think about it. You've got these really large multinational insurance businesses that are losing a lot of money, but no one wants to change uh, to sort of stem those losses. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In any case, the government, quite rightly, was concerned that if they didn't step in and and make the changes, that maybe eventually those insurance companies would decide to exit the Australian market. Uh, and then uh, the, if, if they did that, potentially uh, no one has access to income protection insurance uh, and that would be a pretty poor outcome uh, for Australians as a whole. So the government really did have to step in and, and man- mandate some changes. Uh, there was two main issues uh, that uh, drove these changes. Uh, the first one is the inability of insurance companies to change the level of cover uh, that they're offering. So uh, most contracts are non-cancellable, which means that if you keep paying them, uh, paying the premium, uh, they can't change the terms of coverage. So a, a insurance contract written, uh, say, 20 or 30 years ago, uh, really didn't need to contemplate the impact of mental health claims. 
you know, they just weren't that prevalent 20 or 30 years ago. And so from a risk perspective, it wasn't priced in um, to, to the product's cost. Uh, and uh, whereas today, mental health claims are significant, uh, both in terms of insurance, but also in terms of healthcare costs. So um, the inability for an insurance company to, I guess, navigate, you know, a changing landscape over many decades uh, causes them or puts them in a position where they can't really uh, do anything uh, to, to stem those losses or, or liabilities. Uh, and the second thing is that the uh, the way policies were structured and worded um, uh, didn't really incentivize, in every case, um, people to come off claim. So that is, you know, if the benefits are too good, you know, if you're really enjoying a big insurance payout, um, there, there isn't a lot of uh, motivation, uh, at least economic motivation, to get back to work. Uh, and then secondly, that the longer a claim lasts, the more costly it would be. So, you know, if you had a 30-year-old that was on claim uh, and potentially on claim for the rest of their life, that's, enough, that's 35 years of, of benefits you're going to have to pay uh, to one particular insure, in, insured. Uh, so how many other policy owners that don't claim do you need uh, to, to make up for or at least help you fund the payment to that one, insure, one uh, uh, person or, or life insured? So uh, the long-term claims and persistent long-term claims have a really big impact on the profitability of insurance. So these are just two... I guess commercial aspects of what was impacting not you know every insurance provider in Australia that provided income protection insurance products, uh, and the reality is that we might not feel sorry for the insurance companies. I'm sure we don't, but the reality is if they don't have a sustainable business, they're not going to be around for a long period of time, and therefore that's going to impact the availability of insurance. So let me talk through. Um, really, there was sort of four major changes that we implemented at the beginning of this month, and so let me talk through. You know what those four changes were, and then I'm going to talk to um, uh, the the topic about you know how does this impact you, and uh, and and what do you need to to know or, or think about to navigate these changes. Okay, so the first one is that the amount of income that you can sure reduced from 75% of your gross income to, to 70%. Um, and the reason you can't insure 100% of your income is because obviously if you're getting 100% of your income on claim, uh, there's really no incentive to return to work. Uh, so by reducing the margin, if you're only going to get 70% of your pre-illness um, uh, or pre-accident uh, income, uh, then there's a 30% incentive to return to work as soon as possible. Uh, and so, okay, so we, we, we've got less coverage than uh, what used to happen. Uh, the second change is that they put a cap uh, in place so that in the first six months, any benefits paid to you cannot exceed 90% of your pre-disability income. So the problem was that there, a lot of products start offering sort of ancillary benefits, sort of lump sum payouts in addition to, you know, your monthly payment for specified conditions, you know, if you lost a finger or you lost the use of an eye or something like that, um, that you might receive a, a $50,000 sort of lump sum payment. You know, these are all sort of just bells and whistles, if you like, to try and sell these insurance products. Um, but what happened then is that people might be actually be in a better financial position as a result of claim. Uh, and that's that's definitely not what insurance companies want to um, want to happen because that just sort of give rises to to longer claims and more expensive claims and so forth. So that was the second change. The third was that 
your benefit amount is now based on your uh, on the on the income that you earned twelve months prior to your claim. So um, whereas previously other products used to allow you to pick the best twelve months over the last two or three years, depending on uh, you know the product terms and conditions. So that means that if you had a temporary reduction in income just prior to having an accident or an illness, uh, well that's no big deal. You could pick sort of a, another period that demonstrated higher income. Now it's very just strict. It's just the first, the 12 months immediately preceding, uh, you know, whatever accident or illness has caused you um, a temporary incapacity. And lastly, the, the fourth change was a change to the occupational definition. So normally, uh, income protection insurance is based on your particular role. So when you apply for cover, um, you, you told them what your occupation is. And if you can't do uh, the, the key duties of that occupation, then you can go on claim. Uh, now, to minimise the impact or the likelihood of long-term claims, um, uh, the big mandated change is to change the occupational definition for any claims that last longer than uh, two years. And in that situation, uh, the definition uh, isn't your actual occupation, it's any suited occupation. And so the insurers will determine what is a suited occupation based on your skill, training, qualifications and experience. So if I'm a fully qualified CFO, for example, well, based on my skill, training, qualification experience, I could probably be a bookkeeper. And so, you know, if I can go and get replacement income as a bookkeeper, uh, then maybe uh, I'm not going to get a full claim or, or maybe no claim at all. And so again, what it's trying to do is reduce the depth of coverage for really long-term incapacity uh, claims, which is a concern really because that's the whole reason we really want income protection insurance. Short-term incapacity, typically we've got annual leave, sick leave, savings, family, whatever we need to draw on to get through, we'll, we'll be fine. Most people are going to be fine for shorter-term incapacity. It's really the long-term incapacity that we're trying to uh, guard against. Uh, there's one final change that was mandated that hasn't been implemented yet, uh, and this is important to point out because it, when it is implemented, uh, it will further deteriorate the quality of income protection cover. Um, but at the moment, uh, insurance contracts are non-cancellable, which means as long as you keep paying the insurance premium, the insurance provider is locked into providing the coverage and can't change the depth of that coverage, the, the terms and conditions. However, we expect in the future, and it could be very in the very short term, uh, that the government will mandate that insurance contracts must have a maximum term of five years only. So that means that you can go out and get cover, and in five years' time, the insurance provider can come back and say, look, we're going to change the terms of your cover. And at that point, you can either accept those new terms or you can cancel the cover. But at least it gives the opportunity for insurance cover uh, companies to kind of navigate um, risks and, and, and most importantly, um, minimise the cost of, of insurance as well. Because, uh, you know, if you don't allow insurance, if you want insurance companies to take too much risk, uh, well, just insurance premiums keep rising. So um, anyway, that change hasn't been implemented yet. Um, uh, uh, policies are still non-cancellable, which is great because it gives, you know, it, it really um, locks in, you know, that the insurance insurance provider to provide that level of cover. But this change is coming. It's mandated. They'll have to implement it. We're just unsure about when that will happen. 
Okay, so let me talk about the implications then of these changes. Uh, And of course, they're going to be different depending on whether you've got pre-existing cover or whether you don't have any cover yet and you're you're about to get some new cover or you plan to get some new cover in the future. So let me talk about, you know, the impact if you have existing cover at the moment. Well, I guess the first observation is that, you know, you want to think really carefully uh, before you make any changes to any existing insurance products. And the reality is, um, is that you're just never going to be able to get comparable cover again. So if, if you go and cancel your policy uh, on the you know, assumption that, you know, if you need it again, you can always uh, apply for new cover, uh, that's not going to be true. I mean, you can apply for new cover, but it's not going to be as comprehensive. Now, the whole insurance industry's marketing proposition is really around loss aversion. So, and they play, they play that very well, you know, um, they play it to their strength. You know, you better not cancel insurance. What happens is something happens. Um, uh, you know, so, so you've got to be mindful, of course, that that's their sort of play. And it's always been a, a strategy to um, change products quite regularly so that, you know, create this loss aversion. Oh, you've got this old legacy product, don't cancel it. Uh, so it is a bit of a marketing strategy, but the reality is um, that the, the older products or any product that went into, into force before 1 October 2021 uh, was far more comprehensive than these uh, these new products for the reasons, the four changes that I just went through. Um, the, the second observation is that um, whilst it's good, you know, whilst you, you, we, I acknowledge that those products are very good in terms of coverage, the reality is, I think, the commercial reality is it's going to be very tempting for insurance companies to continue to increase the price of those legacy products uh, for two reasons. Firstly, to make sure that they're sustainable so that the fee revenue is greater than the, you know, the premium revenue is greater than the, the benefit payments, um, but also to incentivize people to um, give up those products and new to and move to those newer style products uh, again because if you if you've got one product that's not very profitable and another product that is a lot more profitable of course you're going to try and incentivize uh, your existing customers to move across to that more profitable product so we've seen some significant um, increases in insurance particularly income protection insurance premiums over the last two or three years um, uh, I'm not sure those increases are going to abate anytime soon. I suspect it will be very tempting for the insurance companies to keep raising prices. Uh, they're either going to keep the cover and it's going to become profitable or they'll incentivize people to move across to those new products. Now, having said all that, uh, you know, if your existing cover becomes way too costly, um, then it's my view that you're better off to have some cover than none, typically. So, you know, if the, the, the compromise could be going to this new product, and whilst I acknowledge that it is less comprehensive cover, um, if it's still more v- affordable cover, it's better value for money. As I said, you're better off to have some cover than, than none at all. Um, and it's possible that even a, a hybrid strategy might be, um, uh, might be available to you as well. So, for example, if I had $10,000 per month of cover, um, uh, that is the benefit payment was $10,000 a month, but the product was becoming too expensive, well, maybe what I could do is reduce my the, the benefit on the existing product to, say, $5,000, uh, and then get a new product for another $5,000. So you've got sort of half on that comprehensive product and then half the cover on the new, less comprehensive product. Uh, and that might help me sort of manage the cost of, of cover. 
Um, uh, but it could be a way for people to still have some level of cover, um, but at least uh, uh, cap the cost or manage the cost of, of having that. Now, uh, that's assuming that uh, you're able or you're in a situation where you can get replacement cover uh, and that you will pass sort of medical and financial underwriting, so all the medical history and tests and so forth. Uh, and that's something you really need to explore before you make any changes to your existing cover. Uh, we did have a quick look. I mean, this is all new because the product information's only been out for about a week now. Uh, but we did look at the cost and compare the cost for a client uh, this week. And the new cover was about 21% cheaper than the pre-existing cover. So, um, But look, insurance premiums can be inherently unpredictable. Um, so it'll be interesting to see you know, more comparisons for more clients. Uh, to see where you know the the, the savings uh, range, but it's quite possible that, that it could save you more or less money than that. Uh, it's just an indicative indication. So if you don't have cover yet uh, and you plan to get some cover in the future, uh, my first observation would be make sure you get a, an experienced financial advisor uh, to advise you on what type of cover. Um, look, that that's necessary for life and TPD insurance, total and permanent disability insurance. Um, but less so to a lesser extent because, you know, with life insurance, the quality of the policy is less of a concern. You're either dead or alive. It's a question of fact. There's not too much wriggle room for insurers to move around in. But income protection insurance is probably arguably a, a more important product than life and TPD insurance. Uh, and the terms and conditions and definitions therein um, will have a, a really big impact on uh, whether you're going to receive a benefit should you claim one in the future. So it's very important. Don't try and do this yourself. It's important you get out, you get some decent advice in respect to what is the most appropriate level of cover and the most appropriate provider and product um, for your circumstances. Uh, if and when uh, they uh, change the contract terms to five years, a maximum of five years, it will be very important that you are proactively reviewing your insurance every five years. Um, in the past, it was almost forgivable to sort of have a set and forget kind of arrangement with insurance. Um, but moving forward, you know, if, if those terms are limited to five years, your, your advisor must review that cover um, at that time to make sure it's still appropriate. And finally, um, one way to mitigate some of the risk associated with these new products or the lack of cover is to get some trauma insurance. Uh, trauma insurance uh, pays you a, a lump sum benefit that's uh, typically not taxable, uh, so it doesn't attract tax, uh, for if you um, are diagnosed with a specified condition. So it covers illness rather than accident. Um, typically, trauma policies have a list of 30 to, to 35 specified conditions, but statistically speaking, uh, for females, it's uh, typically a cancer event. Uh, and for males, it's a cardiovascular or cancer event. Um, and trauma insurance can be used to fund kind of out-of-pocket medical expenses, voluntary time off work, etc. And it could be a way to mitigate some of the um, shortcomings, I guess, with these newer style products. But again, important to get advice in respect to that. A final word on income protection insurance, if I may, and it's really important to point out, particularly for people in their 30s and 40s, that income protection insurance is easily the most critical product. And there's two reasons for that. The first one is that most people's financially financial plan is entirely dependent on their ability to go out and earn an income for the next 10 to 20 years. 
And if they weren't able to do that, the financial plan would fail. Uh, and so if that's a key underlying assumption, a key success factor, you certainly should insure against the risk of, uh, of something going wrong. Uh, and secondly, your ability to earn an income, particularly if you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s, um, is a very valuable asset. You know, you just need to, if you can work for the next uh, 20 to 30 years, you just multiply your annual income by 30 and that's the value of the asset that you're insuring. Now, if you compare the uh, cost of insurance compared to the asset, it actually looks like pretty good value. You know, if my income protection insurance costs me $3,000 a year and I'm insuring $3 million of, of income over the next 30 years, you know, I consider that to be pretty good value. I, I mean, most of us insure our car and our car is uh, worth a fraction, a mere fraction of our uh, future income. Uh, and, you know, the, the car insurance might be a, a $1,000 a year, for example. And if we lost our car, uh, sure, that's a pain in the neck. But financially, it's less of a, uh, has a much lesser impact than losing our income. Um, so for those two reasons, you know, income protection is, is critical, I think, in most people's circumstances. Now, of course, it's even more important if you're the sole or, or main income earner. And so therefore, it makes good sense to make sure you've got good value for money insurance in place so that if you do need to uh, make a claim that you, your family and your financial plan, most importantly, is protected in that event. Okay, that's it for me for this week. And until next week, bye for now.